Are you looking for a way to grow your B2B business or software company? Well, how about learning some of the best tips for content marketing, connecting with potential partners, and pitching your business? Well, if that's you and it sounds great, I invite you to join us on our upcoming B2B content marketing Q&A and speed dating podcast party. This is a live Zoom call for our community members and listeners to our podcast that can come along and you'll get to interact, learn something new, and then also have a chance to get expert advice and make valuable connections. All right, the session will be recorded and uh, published on our Authentic Influence podcast. All right, so register now and join us live on Zoom. The next event is coming up in a few weeks' time. Just head over to simplecreativemarketing.com forward slash podcast party. That's simplecreativemarketing.com forward slash podcast party to register. There's only 15 spots, so if you want to jump in, uh, go ahead and do that today. Hope to see you there real soon. Welcome to Authentic Influence with host Anthony Chansamuth, the show where we get real and share the stories and struggles, strategies and tactics of successful influencers and entrepreneurs so that you too can take action to create the life and business that you choose. And now over to Anthony. What's up, Warriors? So this week, we're going to do something a little different. And uh, I'm going to share with you an interview that I did recently on the B2B Power Hour podcast with host Nicholas Thicket. So I was invited onto the podcast to talk about how to use case studies to prove your brand's value. Uh, And so uh, in the interview, we talk about uh, we answer some answer some questions where uh, we're going into topics like are case studies still relevant in our digital world? Where can we use case studies? And how do you actually create a compelling case study that delivers results? Uh, Nicholas audience uh, is similar to ours. So we're talking about B2B businesses, SMBs, uh, SMEs if you're in Australia. Uh, and so this is all if you are in sales enablement, if you are in marketing uh then this episode is for you i uh, hope you enjoyed the interview and nicholas has been kind enough to uh let us share this one on authentic influence and i would recommend that you also pop over to uh the b2b power hour podcast and check out nicholas's weekly interviews uh, and episodes i think he's might even be increasing the volume on those uh, but certainly if you're into sales b2b sales and digital marketing that's the podcast you subscribe to now enjoy the interview. Hello and welcome to the B2B Power Hour with your host Nicholas Thicket. Unfortunately, Mr. Morgan Smith will not be joining us. He's taking a well-earned vacation, but that doesn't mean that we can't battle the way it's always been done in the sales and marketing world. And to do that, I'm bringing in a special guest, Anthony Chasamuth. Well, hey, hey, what's happening? What's up, Nicholas? I, I cannot wait for this because it must be coincidence, or maybe it's just because I'm thinking about it because I knew that we were going to be chatting, but it keeps coming up over and over from demand gen to buyer enablement, how case studies fit in. And so I'd love to do a quick intro 
anybody that's listening, please go and say hello. Let me know where you're coming from in the chat. After me and Anthony go through a few of our key points, we're going to open it up for Q&A. So if anybody has any questions, please throw it in the chat and let's get started. So Mr. Anthony is a content strategist and copywriter and podcaster, which is very important these days. His company, Simple Creative Marketing, is known for creating case studies and epic posts to drive traffic for web business owners so they don't have to. Super critical. He typically works with million-dollar services and software businesses that sell online training. He's worked with leading brands such as Bean Ninjas, Systemology, and Hub Australia. And he's been featured in Forbes, Inc., Good Men Project, and Huffington Post. And he calls Sydney, Australia home, so I think it, good morning is in order. That's right. It's uh, eight o'clock in the morning here. Not too early. Uh, it's actually pretty good. Thanks for inviting me on, Nick. I'm def definitely keen to uh, add some value here around case studies. Yeah, it's it's funny because everybody keeps asking me what what's the point, and uh, I think a good place to start is why did you get into case studies? So I'll take you back to when I actually had my last full time uh, role at a, at a company. I actually worked for a co working. Uh, company here in Sydney. Uh, we managed three locations across Australia, uh, 800 members at a time. And that's, that's probably like tripled since I left. But um, one of the key uh, strategic moves that we made during my time there was to work out, okay, what type of content we knew we had to invest in content. We also knew we had to attract leads uh, and enable sales um, through our content marketing. Uh, and so you know, it was on my head to work out, well, what's the best type of content to put out there? And I could imagine some of the people watching this and listening thinking, yeah, what is the best type of content to put out there to, to drive acquisition? Um, and so for our business, it was, well, you know, we had this light bulb moment where it's like, you know, it, why, why are we all here, right? We, we asked the team members and we all said, well, we came because we met, we knew someone that was already a member in the space or they were involved in the community in some way. And they basically brought us in for an event and then once we came in for an event you know a social event then we kind of got, got hooked it was like okay we like this place mm -hmm. we want to stick around uh, and so um then it was it was a no-brainer you know the whole strategy the strategy was hey let's go and interview our members right get them to tell their stories why are they here what benefits have they gained from being a part of this organization um and you know what would they uh recommend to others right and so that was uh that became a monthly activity for all three spaces uh we would then you know that would be on the kpi you have to interview at least one member give that to Anf, and for them produce a story on that um i also started producing a podcast at that time and in interviewing team members or not team members um co-working members for the podcast and sharing their stories uh you know the founder story uh and and that became sort of the first real foray into the world of of uh case studies um, and using it in, in a B2B context. That's interesting. And it's funny because you think of attribution software, everybody keeps pointing that, you know, it's SEO and and some people get into some of the content strategy, but it I guess it really comes down to how they get there. Right? And yeah. so I think that might lead into a good, good question of, so... I, I don't know if we should start with like where to use them or I know one of the questions is, are they still relevant in the digital world? And I think that's a good place to start actually, because I get asked that should, as a salesperson, should I be using case studies? I say yes. And I think marketers should use it even more 
but I'd love to hear your take on that. Are they still relevant? Uh, absolutely, 100% still relevant. And the, the biggest challenge that we're seeing, so I spend a lot of time in B2B marketing, um, you know, and you're more so in sales, I think, uh, but I see the intersection between the two and we had a wonderful conversation previously about that. Uh, and from a marketing point of view and being online, uh, you know, content, you know, the saying is content is king and everyone is producing content like crazy, right? Like there's literally millions of blog posts going up every day. Uh, and so you're in a very competitive space uh, to stand out is much more difficult now than it was 10 years ago with a piece of content. Um, and to get ranking is even just a different, another whole nother level. Like it's not just good enough anymore to produce a 500 or 700 word article and put it on your website. Uh, now we're talking thousands, right? 2,000, 10,000, there are 20,000 word guides sitting on B2B websites, uh, you know, with tremendous research behind it, right? Uh, they've done surveys, they've gone out and, you know, they've paid uh, um, a research, a marketing research company to go out and really survey, you know, five, 500 businesses or SMEs to really get an insight into one specific asset. It could be conversion, it could be demand generation, it could be lead generation, whatever it may be. Uh, not all companies and small businesses can do that or have mm -hmm. the ability to do that, right? So, so but, but what we can do is we can actually do case studies. We can actually interview our clients, the ones that we've worked with where we've produced a result and an outcome for, uh, and say, hey, tell your story. Why did you come to us? What, you know, what, how did we help you? What were the steps that we took to support you to get the result and the outcome? Um, and let's share that story. Let's, let's give you a bit of love uh, and, and, you know, profile the type of business that you are and get you some traffic as well. Um, so this becomes a real collaboration with your clients, right? With your partners. Right? I've seen this working in the partnership world really well as well. Um, and that type of content uh, it does something that a lot of, you know, how-to guides and things like that don't do, which it actually gives proof that the thing you're selling actually works, right? Um, it, it's, it's one thing to teach a topic and you can say, yeah, I can teach you all about the seven steps to generate leads from LinkedIn, right? Now, when it becomes really powerful is during through that content where you actually say, well, here are five examples of, of clients I've worked with or people of businesses I've worked with where we actually did this strategy and we got results from. Right? It's nice when those are different strategies because then they're the best cases or those best use cases. So people could start putting them in their shoes. hundred percent. Right. And so that's where, uh, you know, that type of content. So if you're paying, like paying attention to what we're doing here, we're actually still producing your long form content, your how to guides. What we're doing is embedding storytelling uh, and, and social proof and, and evidence backed storytelling uh, to then make that really compelling. Right. And that's always been one of my problems with case studies is somebody throws out a survey, they take some whole whack of information, they do a meta-analysis, and then they're like, here, this is what we, you know, this is what came of it. And I really wonder sometimes, like, did you start out with an end in mind and you just tweak the numbers to get what you wanted? And so I think of case studies more as like fact checking, that it, it's kind of proofs in the pudding, right? And because that's always my fear as a salesperson, it's about trust. As soon as you burn the bridges of trust, you're done. And if you kill your reputation in the process, there's no, you, you can't, can't hit the restart button. And so that was always my worry with case studies and also like big numbers and metrics. Yeah. Because people can smell bullshit. And the problem is if you get called out on it and you can't back it up, where, where do you go? 
we and we've seen that like i, I you know there are there are influencers or whatever you want to call these people a dime a dozen youtube on instagram you know they're talking about eight figure success and whatever maybe they're throwing out these numbers uh and then what i like to do is jump onto their website and show me the success, show me the results like like actually uh you know don't just tell me paint the picture of the promise but also can you deliver on the actual results i've been i don't know if you've been through this nicholas but i've been through programs i've invested you know ten thousand dollars on a program uh with to work with a guru uh and the customer support was just from that once we signed you know the money over right the customer support disappeared there was none like there was no you know uh, hey i've got the questions about this how do i how do i <clears throat> best utilize this training or whatever it may be and there's crickets right? silence yeah uh, yeah and then i'm talking to other people who have left and had complaints i should have done this beforehand but you know what they do really well is they they hide all that information so you know if anyone puts a negative review up they go and send their lawyers onto them uh and so there's that whole other thing going on so you know to your point um numbers are, are useful to some degree but are they actually you know what numbers you're looking at and for me now i'm always challenging new numbers so i'm looking at well what's the actual profit uh and you know tell me the story behind the scenes and that's where i think with uh case studies we can get into a bit of that behind the scenes because um, not only are we you know sharing the client's story but we're also sharing our own and well i know we're going to get into the framework in a moment but um we're also you know sharing our expertise um and, and showcasing well these are the steps that we took to actually produce produce the outcome right um and that it, it removes the it, it can a be very dagger like, from everything yeah, like, yeah that's always my fear is you go onto these websites you see these big claims and you're like cool how like i've been in sales a long time and i've worked with people that have been truly gifted with conversation and the whether written or like spoken word and there is no way in hell they could make that happen. So unless you're using some AI that I've never heard of, or there's like, there's, there's something fishy, something doesn't make sense. And I think that's what I love about case studies or why I'm even looking at them for KO and everything going forward, because it takes away the mystery and who doesn't love storytelling. But I think even too the companies that need it the most are the ones that don't believe in it because they usually have the ROI that's hard to prove. Mm. Right. Like how many companies do you know that you ask them like, what, so what can I get from this? And they can't give you a straight answer because what they do is kind of the, whether it's the soft skills, it's a complex service that isn't directly tied to revenue, but that's usually what people look at is just, is it making me money or is it losing me money? Yeah. You're on point right there with those Nicholas. And for me, you know, the power of case studies, it really comes down to three things. Um, one, it provides context, right? So if you have a buyer going through a buyer decision um, or even just in their, in their in a research phase, um, they're looking for similar context to what they're, they're going through, right? So, you know, are we a similar size business? Do we have similar challenges, right? If we're a marketing department that's struggling or we are a you know, sales department or we're, you know, procurement and we're trying to work out the best solution, whatever it may be, um, you know, I want to see examples of uh, other companies that are similar to ours, right? Uh, might not be identical, but certainly in the same industry, same, you know, functionality, whatever it may be, um, context, right? And what were the challenges? What were the, what were, um, what was their research like when they, you know, 
when they were going, when they were trying to find a solution, what were the options they were evaluating, these sort of things, right? Because that helps the buyer. Like if I'm, like if I want to buy a car or a house, you know, I'm going to go through that process. I'm going to look at multiple you know, dealerships. I'm going to look at whatever it may be. I'm going to talk to my, my buddies. I'm going to say, okay, where did you guys, what would you recommend? All these things, right? Um, yeah. Second thing is, is empathy. Right. So when I can see and we know this restoring is why we love Hollywood feature films and, and all these, you know, Disney films and things like this. When we can see ourselves inside the character, right, or the experience of the character and we can empathize with, OK, you've given me the context, but now I can also associate to the pain because I can see, yes, you know, they were struggling with these two or three things. And look, we're, that's what we're going through right now. Um, you can see yourself in, you know, the buyer can see themselves in the shoes of that particular case study um, and then the third thing is the methodology which we just talked about okay can you show me the process right um, and what we know is you know certainly from all the case studies that we've produced for our clients is whenever they can detail uh, to some degree and it doesn't have to be give away the, the secret source completely uh, but certainly to some degree show the, the prospective buyer the steps that they would need to take on their own to produce the outcome uh, in you know 99% of the time, they just say it's just too hard. We can't do it. We don't have the capability. Don't have the expertise in house. Uh, these things come up, and then they go, "I'm just going to hire you because that, that's just you're the expert. Obviously, you've been able to produce the result multiple times, right? I just want to work with you. Let's go. Let's have that conversation. So, um, context, empathy, and methodology. Those three things really, you know, are like the, the crux of a, of a strong story. I feel like we should almost play devil's advocate here because that we've kind of like built it up so much. I think it's good for people to hear too, where like, when should you not use case studies and where, where do they go wrong? Maybe that's uh, another one. I would say that my, it goes back to one of my biggest fears with case studies. And the reason why I fact check them is, is it honest? Is it real? Because if you can't fulfill that promise, do not show people. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's why it scares a lot of, organizations to to go down that path of producing them because i've had this i've, I've worked with a, a firm uh where they've you know they love the whole concept love the idea yes we want to do case studies and when i said to them can you you know select three clients where we can interview and actually tell this story and what results have you been able to produce for them they straight away was the reaction was oh crap we, we actually haven't produced a significant result with the client just yet, you know? Uh, and I said, well, look, probably best to come back, you know, in, in six months or 12 months when you've actually had, uh, been able to validate, you know, what you can do. And, and, um, and they're going to be happy to share the story as well, right? The best time to actually uh, do in a case study is actually when you've had completed a project or you've actually had success somewhere uh, and the client is happy to be involved in that process because you've helped them, solve a problem right um to your question nick like around okay when does it make not make sense well that's one one situation where it wouldn't make sense when when you're actually not ready all right the business is not ready maybe you're a startup and and you know uh you don't have those wins on the board yet yeah, um, don't know or, your personas or right right yeah those things um another time you know is when uh, maybe you're uh, now we're we're talking B2B here, so I'm assuming the audience is B2B. But if you were in the product world and you're and you're launching products and whatnot, um, most cases, you know, reviews work better than products uh, for products uh, mm -hmm. because they, you know, they can go onto your various review platforms. If you're on Amazon, right, you don't really have space to put a case study; like it has to be a review, uh, and then it becomes a volume play where it's like we need literally hundreds of reviews. 
before it makes sense for people to want to buy from us, right? So, so that's uh, another place where I wouldn't recommend the case study. Also, just if we're looking at the funnel, let's break down, you know, top of the funnel, medium, uh, middle and bottom. Um, now, my I'm a bit uh, skewed in my thinking here because I've seen it work in all places, like uh, across the whole funnel. Uh, but typically, uh, case studies work better the lower you go down the funnel. So if you're at the bottom of the funnel and you're in that, you know, conversation around the, they've already, they know what the problem is. They know what the, the, the vendors in the space are. You're one of three vendors that are evaluating. And now it's like, can you show me proof that you can actually deliver? Uh, that's where this becomes really powerful. Um, now, having said that, we've also seen, right, our clients who are B2B, who are large organizations uh, or SME level, they've produce the case studies for that purpose, but you know, I, therefore also put them on their websites and put it into their, their email you know, marketing drip systems and whatnot. Um, and that's actually been able to, uh, been able, excuse me, they've been able to attract prospective leads uh, because of those stories, right? Because people see, oh, you know, here's a story about, you know, uh, how you produce this, this outcome for this type of business, that's us. And then they, they you know, naturally click through, want to read it. Um, and that might not always get them to the sale straight away, but it brings them into the funnel, right? I wonder if this would have been as effective five or 10 years ago as it is right now. Because now people want asynchronous. They want to go and do things on their own time. And so instead of me calling you right away, I might go on your website. Because of course, I'm going to Google you. Mm -hmm. And whether somebody referred you or not, I'm either going to go to your LinkedIn or I'm going to Google you. And either way, if you plant those case studies and really step into their shoes where you're providing them this really high value and here's the best use cases. And I think another part is also drawing the line of where, like who you work with and why and who you don't work with. Yes. You know what I mean? Because if you have those three to five best use cases and you, somebody gets excited about that, then they're in the right spot. But if they're outside of that, there might be a good reason to have those on your website to detract them from trying to work with you because it's not in anyone's best interest. 100%. And, and you know, so I'm, uh, you're aware of this, but the audience might not be, but I'm in a, in a research phase for my book um, and, you know, how to leverage case studies for demand generation and sales and, and whatnot. Um, and I've got an interview lined up with HubSpot. Thanks to you. Thanks for the introduction, Nick. Um, so that that's coming up. And one thing they asked me straight off the bat was, what data do you want us to, to pull for that interview, right? Because hmm. um, I, I basically said, look, I, I want this to be transparent. I want it to, I want, you know, the audience and the readers to actually see how this works, right? Um, yeah. And it's not just us here saying, yes, we love it and it works, but here's, here are top organizations saying, here's the data to support it. And we've been doing this for the last 10 years, right? So um, uh, right on, like I, I completely agree with what you just said there. Um, I had a thought about what you said, that you made a comment around, would this have worked better, you know, 10 years ago? Um, I feel right now uh, what, what, what I'm observing and, and what we're seeing in the market is it's, we're shifting to a self-serve um, you know, economy or, or, or a self-serve phase where buyers are researching. I mean, I mean, Google released that that data almost ten years ago, anyway. So, um, where but the touch points have increased, right? When they released the data, the data they were saying it was seven touch points before someone made a buying decision. Uh, latest research says it's something like twenty-one touch points before they get there, uh, just because there's so much data available and and, and content out there. Um, and so what we're seeing is 
if you as an organization can provide self-serve experiences for research, right, specifically, uh, that's much more, um, the conversations are, uh, the conversions are higher on the back end because what's happening now is, you know, I've had this experience where it used to be, if I wanted to learn about a product or service, you know, the, the, the operator would say, hey, book a call with me, book, you know, jump in for a demo, uh, if, it was, if, it, if it was a software or SaaS product. Um, and I just resist that now. Like for now, at this point in time, you know, what, what I've said to a couple of software vendors is, can you just point me to a pre-recorded demo where I can go in on my own time? I don't need to tee up a, a meeting with you. Um, and I don't want you to sell to me. I just want to have a look at the software, um, you know, 30 minutes. That's all I need to see and, and just, you know, walk me through it. And actually, it's going to work better for you, too, because you're going to have people all over the world. You're not just people in the U.S., right? Um, and we're in different time zones. And for me, because I'm not going to jump on a call with you at 11 p.m. at night to look at your demo. Like for me, it's, it's you know, just give it to me. Um, and then with that, give me some case studies, right, of businesses like mine um, where you've used where they've used that software to actually produce results right so i'm actually sort of <laughs> becoming the advisor the marketing advisors of some of these these companies um and encouraging them to to really take a look at that self-serve model uh, when it comes to you know providing uh, what what prospective buyers want well i think that's a hard one because i agree but i disagree at the same time with what mm. you just said because you don't ever want to get rid of a discovery meeting because that's where you learn. And I think to get rid of a discovery meeting, marketing needs to step it up to provide some level of guidance before so that you lead to these case studies so you can lead to these this information. And I think asynchronous, like talking about you looking when you want is even more important when you get multiple decision makers because nothing derails a sales process more than telephone. Yeah. You know, I go into a, a discovery call with you we figure out the key points and then we go to like excel like move to the next step and you as you told your coworkers it didn't translate exactly and so now we're stuck because now there's misinformation and people aren't expecting the same things and so now it you know it's how can you make a decision when you're uncomfortable just went through that experience right so i was helping a client to evaluate a uh, a vendor for some accounting software and um but it's not just accounting it's accounting and crm and it's a whole bunch of things uh mm. and you know I, i'm the project lead so i'm actually looking at the, from a tech point of view but what i needed on the call for the demo was the actual accountants because I'm, because they're going to use it in a specific way right they're looking for certain features and things that in, as part of their workflow so when i booked the demo um I hesitated to book the demo, but then I booked a demo, um, you know, and, and then I said, this is only going to work. Literally, when we started the conversation, I said, can I bring in an accountant right now? Because I need them to, to actually tell us what's going to be useful for them. Right. Uh, and, and, and that whole process could have been like, I'm, I'm with you, Nick. I'm not saying get rid of the discovery course because they're highly valuable and insightful. Uh, just understand that buyers prospective buyers also know discovery calls are sales calls right um and so so whatever you can do to provide information up front um and also you know by the time my my sort of rationale is by the time they get to the sales call they already should have some inclination that they want to work with you no. right like it I'm shouldn't be i'm not saying like i disagree yeah and like yeah. i completely disagree i'm just saying it it should be 
thought of in the marketing. So my, my example is you walk into a, a retail store to buy a suit. If you if you don't normally buy suits, what are you going to do? You're going to talk to the best dressed friend that you have or someone that's in your you know circle of trust, whether you're going to jump on a Slack channel or LinkedIn or whatever, you're going to ask someone, you're going to get a referral. You're not, it's very seldom that you'll, when something that's a little bit more personalized or complex, that you're just going to Google it. So then you go and show up to the store. Well, that first salesperson that greets you, unless you have a specific question and you know exactly what you want, you'll, you won't talk to them. But they've, right. you know, they've, you know, they've showed that they're open. Then you move in and you start doing your market research in store or on website. So you're looking around. If things make sense, you don't need to talk to a salesperson. You just buy. But, but if you have questions and you need clarity, you'll talk to a salesperson. And so this is this whole process of walking it through. So it makes it easy to buy, whether you want to call it, you know, customer experience or buyer enablement. It, it's not there. And so, you know, everybody leads with sales first, which I'm okay with because it gives me a job. And I love sales because it allows me to build genuine relationships that go somewhere. Like I actually get to have build win-win relationships, but I also see a huge opportunity for marketing to make it better for everyone by making that process seamless and smooth because we know our customers better than anyone else this is the questions they're asking. This is what's getting in the way, or these are the hurdles that should get in the way if they're not the right customer. So that if they're talking to me, I'm providing a prescription or I'm supporting them in the buying decisions. I'm not trying to go and I should never be my job to force them into it. I love that you said that because it's not about coercion. It's not about uh, you know manipulation, these sort of things. It is actually providing enough information to help the buying decision right and sometimes you land at the place where you actually know this is not the right decision for you right Mm -hmm. we're not the right vendor here's someone else we recommend you know and that could be a partner or someone that's in your ecosystem that you 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 would recommend right um so so i'm with you on that 100 percent. and that hopefully happens before the sales call yeah but you know what because there's nothing more uncomfortable for a salesperson too to go oh wow like we had mixed expectations. They didn't match at the end. And so you got to now close the call peacefully and not save face, but mm. it's just uncomfortable. But with all the access to technology and the simplicity of messaging and, you know, social media and web design, I, I guess as a salesperson, I'm hoping that marketing will pick up the slack and be on less defensive so that they're taking on more of that sales enablement and guiding that journey. And I, I actually see sales being more of uh, the fulfillment and like emotional journey. But I, I could see something like case studies helping with that emotional journey because it takes out the guesswork. And then sales can come in later to support them on like fulfillment, actually getting your product or getting your service or getting the most of it. Like you were talking about with that one vendor you were talking about. Yeah. I'd rather see a salesperson invest in that in customer success then, you know, ruthlessly try to sell and scorch the earth behind them. <laughs> I'm curious because obviously you've been in this space much longer than I have. Like what you, what's your sense of the way sales is being approached, right? Like is, is are you saying that just through your statement, are you saying, you know, the majority Come of organizations- on. give me a little more information. Right? <laughs> yeah, right? No, well, for me, it's, it's like, I've had that experience and I've shared that. I've had the experience where it's, you know, 
let's just tell the prospect anything that they want to hear and then let's move them to the to you know the, the investment um and i've had the opposite of uh, the whole the guidance experience where it really is a um collaborative sale where it's you know well what are your your pain points what are your goals and objectives what's your time frame what's your budget all these questions come up um and it, it's a nice experience right um and, and even when it's not a hey yes i'm going to buy from you today i've come back to them you know six months later and said now's the right time let's go yeah. um and i think that that's just a different approach so there's a few reasons for that and i'm i'm glad you bring this up because this is a good conversation to have if you were starving and you had a family to support, would you do everything you could to be there for them? 100%. That's the problem. Hmm. Why would people, why would companies put people in that position? Like we talk about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If I'm worried about my family and putting food on their plate and a roof over their head, how am I supposed to do good work? Because that's me in survival mode, so I'm going to survive. That's why I don't believe in commission sales anymore. Commission sales also only pays me to sell you once. It pays for me to get that single transaction. It does not value any of the rest of the process. Because to me, the first sale is the cost of doing business. The second sale is when the real work happens and the best results come in because not only now do they trust you and know now they know you can deliver your promise because before like even with a case study if it's a wrong fit there's a chance that you might not get what was promised to you but i that's what i would put it down to is that we need the old school sellers and the old school way needs to just rethink their strategy and be more respectful to people and customers and better leverage what's available to them than being oversold and undermarketed, really. Yeah. Thank goodness there are people like you in the world, Nick. <laughs> I might piss a few people off with this one, but <laughs> whatever. It is what it is. That's right. People need to hear it. They need to learn and, and they need to you know book some training sessions with you because I, like it's, it's a whole, it's, we're talking mindset shift here. Um, mm-hmm. and a shift in approach. Uh, and, you know, I've been a door-to-door salesperson. I used to work for Moneris. You would know Moneris being mm-hmm. in Canada. Uh, so, yeah, walk the streets every day, 40 shops or retail outlets, knocking on doors in, in the winter, minus 20 degrees and snowing. Um, you know, I walked into my suit uh, and my briefcase and I, people threw me out. <laughs> Some people were like, it's a hard job. Sales guy, get out. Uh, you know, but what I learned through that experience was just what you say when you actually don't come from that place. And I, I was desperate. I'm like, I need to pay my rent, right? Um, having said that, though, I didn't walk. You know, I learned quickly to shift out of that energy and really focus on what does the buyer need, right? And, and there are just many times where I've walked in and said, okay, you've got a machine. We don't need to talk. But if you want to chat, you know, talk. If you don't like it and you're not happy about it, yes, we can have that conversation. Um, and then, funny enough, we did use case studies in that process too, just not the way that we're talking about here online and all these sort of things. It was really, you know, we had um, pamphlets, right, of stories of vendors that we'd worked with that were our clients. And so we would show them, yeah, you know, here's a you know a coffee shop or a cafe like yours that we've worked with. And, and this, you know, um, they were able to save X amount of dollars just through our machines. And, um, and that was the collateral that I would walk in with. Um, which was helpful in that process. Interesting. So 
it's funny when we go and reflect back, like, actually, we did use that. I know in insurance, we did all the time, too. But they didn't have the storytelling that they do now. Right. So they didn't, they weren't sticky. That's right. And to kind of go back to your one point, uh, I've never said this to anyone before, but I always find it interesting when somebody's being super pushy in sales. I always want to know, are they hungry? Or are they starving? Because there's the people that are hungry and they want power and they just want to have their name on the leaderboard. And there's the people that are starving and they're just doing it because they're trying to survive. And so it's usually what goes through my mind. And I maybe it's just from training people over the years and seeing the mindset shift. And I feel bad because I see somebody that's trying to put themselves on a leaderboard by doing it wrong. And then I see the you know, the person that's struggling and I'm like, you, you look identical the way you're talking. There, there's, there should be something, there's something wrong here. This shouldn't happen anymore, but I guess that's a good thing about, or the difference between all sorts of different sales training companies, right? Is, 100%. You know, how, how are you working through things? Is it emotion? Is it logic? And I think that's another thing that comes back to case studies mm-hmm. is it involves emotion. It's more than just black and white and it's more than just numbers. Because people need, they crave that filling that, oh, cool. So you, you know, you got a 270% increase on conversion. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) How? Come on. And I think that's where case studies really come in. And I think that's why a lot of the time too, I've stayed away from them because they're fluffy. Mm Mm-hmm. They're they're more advertisements or promos than they are informational. And maybe that's the biggest change that needs to happen is more. And I, I apologize. Like I haven't seen too many of yours as of yet, but from the way you talk, I imagine that's how yours are. Is they're more about that information exchange than they are, you know, here's my numbers, guess and check. It's yeah. Certainly it's the focus has been less on, like data is useful and, and, and you should have data in your case studies, um, you know, but we are talking to emotional beings as you're, you know, uh, succinctly stated here, Nick. Uh, and so what we do focus on is in the storytelling, what's the impact beyond the metric, right? So it, it, it's good enough, to, you know, I'll give you a real example. We did a uh, case study for an accounting firm um, who, so they do bookkeeping uh, and, more than that, but they're, they're, they're e-commerce bookkeeping firm. And they had a client who was already using, um, they were already, they already had their own bookkeepers. I think they offshored to somewhere in India or outsourced to India. Uh, and when they came to, to my client, uh, one challenge they had was sure the price was good and, and all these sort of things with the previous vendor, but the quality wasn't there. Right. And then what that, that ended up resulting in was a ton of rework right so what happened is they would get their reporting and they would get their come tax time and this is what this is the nightmare for any business is at tax time where you have to go back for the last 12 months worth of records to clean it up because your bookkeeper screwed up right um what they did they, they were nightmare. putting the wrong values because <laughs> right? um, remember trying to like, i struggled with remembering what transactions I, I did three like a month ago <laughs> i've struggled with what i did like the start of the week <laughs> it's only a few days ago yeah uh and so you know and and uh so as i was interviewing the the, the client for for this particular case study i said to him okay uh so what was the before what was the after and 
he gave me some answers and I thought, okay, these, these are good. This, this is what I expect to hear. And then, then I probed a bit further and I said, well, what's the real impact and, and why is this, you know, important to you? Uh, and he, and I said, tell me more about just your time investment and what are you doing with the time? Mm -hmm. Right. Because he, he, and he said, you know, what's happened now with this new client, new vendor, uh, I used to spend, you know, a day, a month just to go through my books and, and I don't, don't want to go into zero. I don't want to deal. I'm not an accountant. I don't want to deal with any of that stuff. I'm the, I, I need to be doing sales. That's, that's where my energy needs to be. Right. And, and, um, client experience. And, uh, and then he said, well, now, right. Uh, I'm spending more time. Um, I, I literally, it used to take me, you know, a, a day. It's taking me now five minutes to look at my accounts a month. Right. Um, and he just lit up and I said, okay, tell me what are you doing the rest of the time? He said, well, look, my sales have, have doubled, right. Because I'm speaking to more, more prospects. They focused. I'm, yeah. I, I'm doing that. Uh, and I said, okay, well, well, why is that important to you? He goes, well, now that I'm, I feel conf confident that the business is going to do well. Like it, it's, it's, you know, before it was a struggle, it was, uh, not sleeping at night and these sort of things. And, and he talked a bit about his personal life and his, you know, he lives in, in Japan with his girlfriend and these sort of things. And we got a bit into that. And I said, well, that's what it is. Like, it's not just that, you know, we saved you, you know, the company saved you X number of hours. That's great. But what does that mean? What does that translate to in the real world? Right. Yeah. That pain and gain. That's a big yeah. gain from a little pain. hundred percent. Right. And that's what resonates with people when they're reading the case study. And we've had feedback on that. They've gone, man, I feel that I'm, I'm, I'm in that pain right now. I know what that's like. Um, you know, and that's what, that's a mark for us when we're doing these case studies and, and our, when the people who are reading it can respond with that emotional connection where they're like, yes, I can feel that. Right. And I want that the other side of the equation when, when we come out of the pain, I want that. Right. You know, what's frustrating. What? When they change sales, the way they get paid, they remove this part of the equation. Interesting. Because normally, like even with insurance, because it was all based, we got paid up front, but we were on the hook for two years. And if we lost business, we had to pay back our commission. But this was all part of what happened because we stayed, there was a, a relationship. Yeah. And so I've noticed with a lot of the businesses we've worked with, because they're only compensated on bringing someone in, what you just described is a sales process. <laughs> it's the, com the completion of a sales process. Because can you prove value? But now that everybody's getting paid differently, whose job would that be now? Would that be marketing? Would it be sales? Is it customer service? How do you track the ROI on it? And I think that's the biggest problem because people are so... In B2B, everything needs to be tracked and has to have some type of metric. Yeah. That it shoots themselves in the foot because instead of getting this great asset, they they don't don't even touch it because they don't know how to track it. And I guess maybe that leads into two. Does the size of the case study change based on the size of the company? Or is it the complexity of the product or service? What, what would be an average length of a case study and what would be some of the things that you would look at? So say, say I threw three case studies in front of you. One was one or like less than three pages. Another was 10 pages. Another was 50 pages. 
how would you go through to tell me if it was good or bad? So what I'd be looking for is so this this it's a that's a I love the question, uh, and I've been thinking about this since uh, we ha- had the last chat, and and I've seen evidence of I mean, I've seen examples of. So typically the ones that we produce, we're working with small business, so not necessarily the large organizations. Um, but we've had, you know, we've had a, a SaaS company with a thousand users. So we've had that too. Um, and typically what they, they're demand, not demanding, but they're requesting is, uh, you know, a thousand words, anything from 500 words to a thousand words. So that's one or two pages, right? Um, but I've seen larger organizations where, where so the SME level, uh, where they're more detailed, uh, and it has to be due to the complexity of the whether it's the offering uh, or the experience, right? So in the organization that they that they're dealing with, right? So um, the nice thing about case studies is to frame the before you even enter the process of creating and crafting and interviewing and all these sort of things, you need to sit back and really work out what are the questions, uh, well, what's the objective, what are the um pain points we want to highlight what's the story we want to tell uh who's the best client to do that on but also you know what are the objections that are naturally going to come up through the sales process right and so my measure of success for a case study is does it adequate does it adequately address the objections okay so if you have you know five key objections right and i'm going through and if you can do that in three pages great Right, but if if you if you need more detail to, to to detail like address each objection, and you might have one objection per page, and then now you're telling you're telling that story, uh, then that's fine. Okay, um, at the end of the day, what we're looking for is what what you've already highlighted is is there enough on the rational side, right? Is there the data there to support and provide evidence that you can deliver? And on the other side, is is there emotion there, right? If it's very dry and it's just numbers, right? And it's 20 pages long. It's a white okay. paper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's not too many white papers that I've read, you know, in the last decade where I get excited about after I've, I've read it. <laughs> I've only had one or two. And the key ingredient that it blew me away that somebody could make something so dry, so interesting, was a good story. There you go. Right. <laughs> and we've actually done that too. So um, for that accounting firm, we actually did, a research uh, project took you know, three months to do it. We interviewed a hundred of their uh, prospective, more well, ideal client profile, uh, and then we embedded within that case studies, so storytelling to match the numbers. So here's the re- what the research says. Here's the numbers, and here are three stories that actually, uh, you know, so you get that quantitative and qualitative mix, uh, which is nice, you know, uh, for a case study. So it's a it's a bit of a it's a contextual question and, and and that's the way I'm gonna like the best way to answer that is to say in the larger the organization and also how long is the buying process and and looping back to what you said earlier is how many uh, individuals within that organization need to see it right mm. because your case study also needs to answer the questions from each department or each individual involved in that buying process okay mm. because presenting a case study to a CEO is very different to presenting it to a CFO right yeah. um, and again different to the marketing head or sales right it, 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 they are going to want different things from that case study have you written any of the or seen any of the larger how-to guides that they throw case studies in and have you worked on any of those i can i can send you a couple after this but i've i've seen a few now 
from large companies, mainly like strategy and management consulting firms. Yeah. That they do like the how to, but in like dispersed amongst the how to is these st- stories, case studies. Yeah. I've seen like uh, EY, they do those from time to time. I've seen yeah. um, Salesforce, uh, you know, obviously SaaS platform, but, but they do those really well. Um, and so it's because they've got so much data, right? Like th- these organizations, <laughs> they're collecting all this data and, and HubSpot as well. So, so they're able to then pull from that and combine it with these stories, you know, and, and they're really great examples. And we can probably add some of those to, to your website and share them around, but they're really good. I would love to go and see what HubSpot gives you. I would yeah. also think like Gong, Chili Piper, any of those companies where they're really pulling and Gong's been doing really good case studies because they're literally listening to everything you say. <laughs> <laughs> There's a benefit. That's it. <laughs> you know, uh, let's not get into that conversation. But <laughs> <laughs> the the, be- the more uh, the whole point of this is, yeah, the better picture you can paint for someone, um, the more context and, and the more data you can provide, you know, provide to support it. Uh, that's a better story, right? Uh, but don't lose the human element, and that's the key. I think that's the number one thing. If, if the human does not relate to it in any way, you're in trouble. That makes sense. I'm gonna. Open up for Q and A. If anybody has questions, three please throw them in the comments, and I will be happy to go and ask them. And if not, I am going to keep chatting because I have some more questions. I'm trying to think about the first one, but I think when it comes to case studies, I'm trying to think of how to phrase it. Where do you think the biggest opportunity is right now? Is it large B2B? Is it more for marketing? Where do you think, if you had to say every single one of these companies should have a case study, who who would you paint that picture? Just everyone or? Uh, like I said, it's when we started, we focused on, on marketing, right? Uh, I knew there was an advantage in sales because uh, I'd seen it and, uh, you know, that that's, clear to me at the point of conversion when you're at that, that point where the buyer is making a decision uh, and you you know you you share a story of here's someone you know two or three examples or even just one is really compelling example um that can really help take someone over the line um so that's a no-brainer for me and I, and I know you've sort of echoed that uh when we started yeah we really focused on marketing right and so in in the intro you mentioned how we work with services companies a million plus uh Typically, they have courses, training, or programs that they're selling. Um, so they've got the service, which is a core business. But then now, what they're doing is they've sort of ventured into, uh, you know, let's let's kind of package up our IP and then be able to, to sell that as well, uh, and 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 help those who are maybe maybe not at the right level to buy our full service, right? Uh, and so for them, they they've used it as to really beef up their their sales pages. So you know, for any program. They've got a landing page, here's all the benefits, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, the, what they've come to us for is they've said, look, we need to have some solid social proof on that page. Because if someone's looking at, at, at the, you know, they've got the whole marketing funnel and process you know, that, that they do and they get the buyer to that page and it's like, um, we, want, we want evidence that, you know, or they want evidence that that we can deliver this through this program, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, then what happens is now they're using it as a lead gen 
asset. So they've actually put it out there through, so I've seen it done social media, YouTube, wherever it may be, the podcast, they've, they've done the whole gambit, they've run Facebook ads to it. Um, but they've also optimized the, the, sales, the sales page for the buyer. Uh, and then they've incorporated into their drip sequence, even with a lead magnet up front, which is, you know, uh, about a specific topic. And within that, you know, by the third email, they've already sent one or two case studies. Um, so when they get to the, you know, whatever number email it is where it's like, hey, would you like to buy this? Uh, it's already, the, the person is really pre-sold. Um, and so that that's worked really well. Uh, and then the interesting thing is I've had a client that I worked with recently who is a psychologist here in Australia, uh, and they are launching an app, um, which is actually to help parents become better parents with young children, right? Um, Good cause. And uh, one of the, then, you know, they hired me to write the, the, the landing page for the app, okay? Uh, it was in, in ever, like when we started the process and I said to, the first thing I said to, to my client was, uh, I would like to get in front of 20 of your prospective users whether they've been better beta users who already use the beta version of the tool of the app, or they are just moms and, and, and pops who are, um, and dads who, who you know, are having ch ch young kids and, and they might want to be able to access a child psychologist at some point in time. Uh, and so they've become another form of case study where it's actually a research activity an exercise where I've, I've actually put out a survey to these people in these individuals uh, and we've been able to collect specific, you know, challenges they're facing, uh, you know, where they see the app, the app fitting in as, as a possible solution, right? Uh, and these sort of things. They helped me to write the landing page. Uh, but also now that we know this, guess what? Once the app launches, right, now we're going to come back to some of these users because the, the tool will give us who their, their you know, their, their top users are, right? Because mm -hmm. we can see that. So then now we can reach out to those people and say, hey, we would love to profile you uh, as a user of this tool um, and to share your story and how this has helped you and your kids, right? And so the nice thing about that that cycle is because we've already done the research, research up front, right? And we know what the pain points are. Uh, when we come back to doing the case studies, uh, I know what questions to ask because I already know like these are the angles, right? And these are the things that matter to them. And now you're getting it in their own words, which yes. I think is the biggest part because it kind of goes back to my original thought of companies that would be, this would be best suited for is ones that are hard to prove value and mm -hmm. long sales cycles because yes. it would substantially shorten the sales cycle. And if they got multiple buyers, even like it's even more beneficial, but now it's like, how do you prove value from a parent? <laughs> like and do everybody's want to so different right but now yeah. if you use their own words and tell their story you know that's going to resonate with someone and ho hopefully not everyone but you know the right power users that are going to get the most from it and i think i think this can't be stressed enough too many people try to make everything work you don't want to build something for everyone if if it doesn't have a what is it a bifurcating effect yes that it goes in separates you then you're you're you don't have a strong enough point uh, coming into the end here is there anything that you want people to know about case studies or content or would you like to dive into your love of linkedin right now 
that's a whole another 30 minutes, man. So let's not go into the LinkedIn <laughs> thing. Um, uh, well, B2B, look, you got to be on LinkedIn. That, that's a no-brainer for me. Uh, I think, you know, um, I've had the unfortunate experience of being removed from the platform, uh, which I hope doesn't challenge my credibility. Uh, basically, I don't, I'm challenging it. <laughs> but I also understand it's a mammoth beast and I'm not a $10 million organization that they're going to care about. Uh, um, okay, what do I want people to know about case studies? I think there is a framework, there is a, a you know process that we go through. Um, I've got a link that I've shared with Nick um, where we, there's a link to our, our, our guide that takes you through the six steps uh, of how to craft a compelling case study. Um, and, and like, just follow the guide, <laughs> to be honest. Like that's that's really, uh, and and I would re recommend that you actually re-watch or re-listen to this, this particular interview and this episode, because there's a lot of insight into what needs to be, uh, you know, incorporated within the case study. Um, and don't ever lose the human element. Like I think if you remove the emotion from the case study, um, you're doing yourself a disservice and, and also your prospects and, and your audiences, because, you know, anyone can, you know, and I see these SEO agencies that like you go to their, their websites and they, here's a screenshot of, you know, where the, the website was 12 months ago. Here's where it is now. The traffic's like gone, you know, skyrocket like, like this, whatever it looks like. Um, but what they don't talk about in the case studies, what's the impact on, on the business owner or, or the marketing concern, right? Like, and, and, you know, is it that they were at risk of losing their job, right? Were they about to lose their, their primary client? Was it whatever it may be? Um, you know, were they so stressed? Like these things are happening and we know they're happening, just people don't want to talk about them. Uh, but when you are the organization that talks about these things, guess what? you know, you then become more personalized uh, and people want to work with other people, other humans, right? Um, I got a smile on my face because I, I saw somebody that gave me one of those snapshots, one for LinkedIn and one for their website. Yeah. They didn't know that I knew their boss and their boss had just given them a marketing budget and it was the first time they were allowed to go and invest in anything other than organic. And so they were boosting with their paid ads. They had a, yeah, but it was just kind of interesting. Like, yeah, it was purely organic. And I was like, it really wasn't. <laughs> so going back to like asking the right questions, when you see those hockey sticks and you see that their messaging isn't perfect, that their, you know, their process is choppy. I, I always wonder when you have a product that it, if it's not great enough to sell itself and your marketing isn't, or your marketing isn't just, unbelievable how because to me even at like the greatest salespeople i know they're limited by the amount of time they can work so if they don't have great marketing or the product doesn't sell itself because it's so well made how are you getting these hockey sticks i don't know As you say, the proof is in the pudding, man. Like, you know, show us the evidence, right? What's the process? Well, I think that is a great place to end off because we had some really great pieces in here. And thank you, everyone that's watching and everybody that's watching the replay. Uh, I'm going to go quickly go pull up in the chat because Anthony and his company was nice enough to go and give us a little perk from Simple Creative Marketing. So if you go to simplecreativemarketing.com slash b2b power hour slash 
you will get a freebie. I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's more fun when you go find out for yourself. But uh, there might be AI. And there might be something about a case study. I don't know. (laughs) Really appreciate the time, Nick. We're going to have to do this more. We're going to delve into the whole case study thing. There's so much more, especially as I'm doing this research for the book as well. Um, And uh, yeah, I'd love to bring some more stories for you. And I'd love to hear your own stories around just how you're using case studies as well. Happy to. Happy to go and share some because I've been getting a few from tech companies lately. I want to hear what HubSpot has to say, if you're allowed to. And uh, some of the other tech companies you're working with. and. Maybe we'll dive a little bit into your story and your tech life on another another show. Let's do it. All right. Thanks for the awesome conversation. And uh, I have to pop off to another meeting, but uh, <laughs> thanks so much for listening, everyone. And, and hit subscribe. <laughs> thanks, everyone. Take care. Are you looking for a way to grow your B2B business or software company? Well, how about learning some of the best tips for content marketing, connecting with potential partners, and pitching your business? Well, if that's you and it sounds great, I invite you to join us on our upcoming B2B content marketing Q&A and speed dating podcast party. This is a live Zoom call for our community members and listeners to our podcast that can come along and you'll get to interact, learn something new, and then also have a chance to get expert advice and make valuable connections. All right, the session will be recorded and uh, published on our Authentic Influence podcast. All right, so register now and join us live on Zoom. The next event is coming up in a few weeks' time. Just head over to simplecreativemarketing.com forward slash podcast party. That's simplecreativemarketing.com forward slash podcast party to register. There's only 15 spots. So if you want to jump in, uh, go ahead and do that today. Hope to see you there real soon. Now, just quickly, if you want to check out the show notes for this episode, just head over to simplecreativemarketing.com forward slash podcast uh, and you can grab all the links and things and resources on there and also if you are a conscious entrepreneur got a professional services business working b2b uh, and you've got an interest in building influence and income through showing up serving others and being real then i invite you to join my authentic influence warriors facebook group Uh, if you want to do that just head over to simplecreativemarketing.com forward slash community okay Thanks for joining in and I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Authentic Influence podcast at AuthenticInfluence.co. 